Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Education Minister Stephen Lecce joins us to talk about contract negotiations with QP. Is Ontario doing enough to tackle our health care crisis? Hamilton has the third highest median age in Ontario. There's a new movie coming out about the rise and fall of BlackBerry. Airbnb is offering a stay aboard a tugboat at Pier 8 in Hamilton. And the Winona Peach Festival is making a comeback. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Earlier this week, you likely heard that the union representing support staff at Ontario schools, early childhood educators, librarians, custodians, had set a strike vote. And we spoke with Laura Walton, the president of CUPE's Ontario School Board's Council of Unions back on Tuesday about it. And she maintained that while a strike vote is scheduled, her members would not be in a position to walk off the job until October at the earliest. So in essence, the clock's ticking louder by the day to get a deal done. On the other side of the equation is the provincial government. And here to talk about their side of the story is Stephen Lecce, Ontario Education Minister. Stephen, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. Good to be with you. Laura described the negotiations as slow with very few bargaining dates scheduled going forward. How would you describe how the talks are going? Well, I think the discussions we've had with QP have been overwhelmingly productive, except when they decided unilaterally to put themselves on a path to a strike before the government had the ability to present our first offer. And just so I, I want to make that very clear for people listening. Before the government even provided our offer to the union, they put themselves on a pathway to strike that they've now confirmed And I do believe that instability it infuses into the system is really unhelpful. The priority of the boards, of the government, and of unions ought to be getting these kids back to class. And so they stay in class, Rick. That's what matters to the premier. Frankly, it matters to every parent I've met. And I wish it mattered equally to QP, who has spent more time um, really um, creating difficulty versus staying at the table with the mission of getting a good deal for their workers and, frankly, a great deal for our kids, and that's what we're going to continue to do. As you know, Minister, these workers make an average of $39,000 a year. QP says the government needs to ensure that wages are fair and the province's current offer doesn't do that. That's their words, not mine. The union is asking for a pay raise of three twenty-five an hour, and for 55,000 workers, that's roughly $180,000. Is that too high? Uh, well, no, I, I want to be very clear on the numbers. What the union is asking for is a 52% increase over the course of three years. Um, I just want to make sure, you know, uh, folks out there appreciate what this means. I mean, a 52% increase, 11% every year, in addition to eliminating the wage grid, meaning every worker gets moved to the highest levels and then gets 11%, then gets five pay- days, paid days off, then gets 30 minutes of prep time, then gets paid twice the rate currently for part-time work, uh, or rather overtime. When you add that all up, it's a 52% increase. And I ask you, I ask the folks watching today and listening today, like, are you eligible for that type of increase? Because anyone watching this from the outside looking in agrees it is astronomical and unreasonable. I mean, when QP took a deal in York Region, for example, for their workers, they took a 9% increase over five years. In St. John, Newfoundland, the same union took a deal of 11% over four years. And it begs the question, um, you know, is 52%, is $21 billion, which is the sector-wide impact, reasonable? I want to just acknowledge, though, that the workers 
uh, NQP. These are the frontline workers, our custodians, their EAs, ECs. They do a lot of important work, and I want to celebrate what they do in our schools because we honestly we wouldn't be able to run them without them. And they're good people in our community, so I want to just acknowledge that, and it's why we've offered it up to 8.24% of the course of a program that maintains and protects the most generous pension, benefits, sick leave, and long-term disability that I'm aware of in this country. I mean, you know, and I think we're being reasonable and consistent with other deals. What is unreasonable is asking me to spend the equivalent of the education budgets of British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. I'm, I'm sorry, that is unreasonable. That is inconsistent with those footing the bill, the taxpayer of Ontario, who are not getting a 20% or 15% hike in their pay this year, regrettably. Uh, and I just want us to be grounded in realism because, look, the consequence of that is we're, like, we're not going to raise taxes. We're not going to cut services to increase pay by 50 points. It's just not going to happen. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Stephen Lecce, the Education Minister for the Province of Ontario. And we're talking about uh, negotiations with CUPE's Ontario School Board's Council of Unions, which represents workers like early childhood educators, librarians and custodians. This is a precedent-setting deal because other negotiations with other teachers' unions are going to be on the horizon, right? It sets the floor. What that means is whatever we do with QB, the first union in the education sector, it literally will become the minimum, the floor in negotiations with the other unions because of the way the, the, the way these negotiations work. There's a need-to clause, meaning another union can, is automatically lifted up to the higher rate based on a better outcome. And so this sets the minimum. So when we say $21 billion, which is like larger than the entire budget of the province of Saskatchewan, we're not kidding. And it comes with the cost. And so my ask is to be reasonable, to take a reasonable wage increase, to maintain the benefits, the pensions, the long-term disability, the sick leave, 11 days paid at 100%, 120 days paid at 90%. We're not touching this. But most people listening would accept that they're not eligible for these types of benefits and entitlements. So we're trying to balance it all out uh, while recognizing that what we've offered of 8.24% over the course of that deal, the $212 million fund that's going to help us hire 1,800 more of their workers, more custodians, more EAs, more frontline staff to make a difference in our schools. And look, when it comes to our government's priority, I've been very clear, the Premier's been clear, all of us. We want kids to go back to normal, stable, more enjoyable schools. And I think what that means for parents is that their kids go to a school with a focus on learning recovery. After two tough years, these kids should be focused on reading, writing, and math, getting back to basics. They shouldn't be the casualty of never-ending union escalation that every three years in this province, for the last 30 years, you've got to have kids out of a classroom because a union doesn't agree with the government. That's just not fair. And so we're saying to everyone listening, particularly to the union leaders, uh, let's stay focused on these kids and let's get a good deal that protects all of us where we all win. But, you know, ultimately the kids win most because they're going to be able to, to be kids, focus on learning and focus on restoring the mental, physical, social development that I think for many kids took a hit when they were home. Minister, we only have about 30, 45 seconds. Where's your confidence level right. at right now that a deal is going to get done before any kind of labor stoppage? Well, you know, I do think it takes two to tango. So um, I'm going to remain cautiously optimistic and focused on getting a deal. We've got multiple dates scheduled with that union and all unions. 
And again, the priority for the government is very simple. It is clear. It is a normal, stable uh, return to class. It is a full-time and full student experience with the clubs and sports and extracurriculars that help build young leaders. We want more of that. And so I'm going to remain mission-oriented on this. This is the only thing that matters right now for us is, is uh, getting the kids back. I know parents want that. Frankly, I think most members want that. Um, and I know that the, the, the government will deliver that. And I want parents to hear that, that we will do whatever it takes to ensure their kids are in normal and stable schools. Uh, and with that, um, I just want to thank families for, for their good work uh, and for their passion and their support of their kids. Uh, it's not lost in us. It's been tough. And I think the fact that we're doing this, we're increasing investments of their $600 million in funding for the coming school year. It's going to go a big way as we get these kids back on track. Minister Lecce, uh, good luck with the negotiations, and thank you for the time today. Okay, thanks, Rick. Have a good day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We need to start sharing best practices, better ways of doing things. What What are you hearing in New Brunswick? What are you hearing in PEI and, and in Nova Scotia? And, and really uh, support each other. That's never happened. I've ne- never seen everyone as coordinated and focused uh, for the entire country as we are now. It is the number one issue in our nation as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Zamprin with you. That was the voice of Ontario Premier Doug Ford at this week's summit on Canada's health care crisis and he basically said the status quo is not working. We need a Team Canada approach to correct the situation while he and the three other Atlantic premiers who were at the summit called for more federal funding which yes is obviously needed but is our province doing enough to improve the situation? Monique Taylor is the NDP MPP at Hamilton Mountain and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ms. Taylor, how are you today? I'm very well, Rex. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Uh, in an effort to help the struggling healthcare system, the Ford government, as you all well know, says it's going to increase the number of OHIP-covered surgical procedures at existing private facilities. Is this going to help relieve some of the pressure that frontline staff are feeling? Uh, no, actually, we fully believe that it's going to make things worse. Um, when you put um, people and open up more private uh, surgery centers, what you're doing is you're siphoning away from our public sector. You're taking away from our hospitals, from um, our, our surgery rooms that are already desperate. It's all the same people um, who have to perform the same work. So um, it's just going to make our public system much more worse. The province also announcing it's going to allow the movement of patients to long-term care beds outside of their communities. Is this a good or a bad move? This is absolutely awful uh, for some communities. We're definitely going to be uh, hearing from families who um, are their, their moms, their dads, their grandparents are, are far away and not able to be in the community that they want to be in. Uh, the, the government's pushing forward legislation that takes away their consent. I mean, these are all things that are under our patients' bill of rights, our, our seniors' bill of rights, um, and the government is just railroading completely right over that, um, right into the private sector. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Monique Taylor, NDP MPP for Hamilton Mountain, as we talk about Canada's health care crisis and what's happening here in Ontario. There's a new survey out this morning from the Canadian Medical Association, and it finds that 15% of doctors in Canadian hospitals right now have considered ending their life due to burnout, staffing shortages, ER closures, 
I mean, if our healthcare system is not on life support now, it sounds like it soon will be. What can be done to immediately improve the situation? Well, there are quite a few measures that can be taken. First of all, Bill 124. Bill 124 stripped um, our our folks of having the increases of the cost of living uh, that they need, that they deserve. Uh, so that's putting a huge pressure on our system. People are retiring. They're leaving for other provinces. Um, you know, we can, we can be making sure we're paying them accordingly, um, that we're respecting their rights, uh, that we're helping people get into uh, our health care system. Let's provide free education for nurses for doctors uh, we need help right across this country so this isn't something that should be out of the box right what can we do to increase um, our nurses provide that education make sure the incentives are there um, and that and that we're and that we look uh, more appealing than other provinces then then we look more appealing than leaving and going to the states foreign trained um, practitioners like nurses and doctors let's get them into the system let's get them into our healthcare field there are people out there who are just waiting and waiting and waiting to get into our healthcare system to be able to help and they're sitting on the sidelines we can do things better we can make sure that they, that they have the ability to practice and that we and we need them is there is there a sense that build 124 is even being looked at in terms of it getting repealed no, no, none whatsoever. Uh, we're asking for it on a regular basis, and the government has made no indication whatsoever uh, that they're planning on reversing this decision. And and the nurses and um, health care pro- professionals are, are leaving because of it. They're, they feel disrespected. We all know how hard they have worked uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, being there on the front lines, uh, putting themselves at risk, and then to be disrespected at the same time is, is horrible. And so they're they're. Burnt out, they're tired, and and they're leaving, and they're re- leaving in droves. If there's one thing that the province has done over the last, I don't know, couple weeks or so that, that I agree with, would be that paramedics are going to be allowed to treat patients at home or take them to another care facility, which I think personally is going to help alleviate the paramedic offload delays that we're seeing at Hamilton hospitals, at hospitals across the province. We only have about a minute to get your reaction to this. Do you agree that this is a good move, or should more be done? Uh, sure. Uh, it's, it's a small step, uh, but it's, it's a good step. Uh, but we also know that we don't have paramedics available. We've had so many code zeros where ambulances are not available because they're stuck in hospitals. So unless we fix the hospital system, we're not going, or the paramedics are not going to be able to, to solve this on their own. Uh, like I said, there's not enough of them. How many code zeros have we've had? We've had people die at home waiting for ambulances. We've had hot, people being told they have to wait six hours and then have a taxi show up to take them to the hospital. Uh, that's not the healthcare system that we, that we know we should have in Ontario. Um, and until we fix uh, our, our actual healthcare system, paramedics uh, treating people on the doors just isn't going to cut it. Monique Taylor, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. That's Monique Taylor, the MPP for Hamilton Mountain under the new Democratic banner. A couple of other details from the CMA survey, which surveyed 4,100 doctors across Canada. 55% feel like they're burning the candle at both ends, and then they don't see the situation improving anytime soon. And almost half say they're feeling depressed. That's up 15% from just five years ago. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Data from the 2021 census shows that 20% of the people who live in this city right now are over the age of 65. 
Now, our city has the third highest median age in Ontario and the third highest proportion of residents 65 and older. And here's where it gets uh, a little scary. And by the way, great job by the Hamilton Spectator to dive into these census numbers because the data shows that 12% of those seniors are living in poverty. And that's up from 11.6% just six years ago. So we're going in the wrong direction. Sarah Mayo is a social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Sarah, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 12% poverty rate among local seniors. How would you describe that statistic? Um, very concerning and something we need to take action on right away and not, not wait like we did for uh, child poverty. It, it has, has improved quite a bit, but it, we, we, uh, it, it took a long time to do that. And uh, seniors don't have time for us to to dilly-dally, we, 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 we need to make sure all poverty in all age groups is going down. So how do we do this and who needs to do something? I think we've there's been a, a, a good focus on increasing child poverty, uh, ch- uh, child benefits for families, and that has helped uh, reduce the poverty rate. And we haven't had as much increase in um, OAS and GIS for seniors those are very important programs and they reduced uh, poverty among seniors tremendously when they were implemented in the 60s and then um, they are pegged to inflation. But as we know, inflation even now doesn't tell the full story of what of the costs that go into um, into our daily lives. Um, seniors are facing uh, high rent increases as um, landlords try to squeeze more and more out of them. Um, and that's, a, you know, one of my biggest concerns is is renters, is senior renters in this city. Well, and, and the big concern is they really have nowhere else to go. There, there's little to no options for these seniors who are living, uh, you know, under the poverty line or in poverty to, to get ahead. They can't go somewhere else. They don't have a home that they can dip into equity-wise. The next stage, I would guess, would be homelessness. Yes, uh, we know that um, that does happen in our city, um, and it's something we have to um, work hard to, harder to prevent. Um, there has to be more support given to seniors um, who, uh, you know, often seniors living in poverty are are single. If you have two pension, uh, two two pension or or um or oas incomes um it's obviously a bit easier in terms of your rent and things like that and then seniors will also maybe put into long-term care before they're ready if they're evicted from their apartment and and don't have and and don't have uh as much uh physical needs as maybe somebody else but there's the shelter is obviously not the appropriate placement for them so there's um, there's all sorts of situations that happen when uh, when seniors are living in poverty. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Sarah Mayo, a social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. We're talking about uh, Hamiltonians over the age of 65, and about one in five residents in this city are in that category, and 12% of them are living in poverty. Sarah, what is life like for this group of seniors? 
I think, you know, especially now with increasing um, inflation, it means a, a, a less and less, a, a, a life where you, 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 you can no longer afford to like go for coffee with your friends because um, um, those costs are increasing. Um, transportation, uh, you can no longer afford to drive or have a car if you could in the first place. And so there's, you, you have to rely on social services more. So you may um, be going to the food bank um, more often. You may, um, uh, and so yeah, the, 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 the difficulties, um, especially for seniors, I think, you know, the, the difficulties get um, magnified because not only are you on a low income, you may also have um, mobility issues um, and health issues. You may be more isolated because um, your friends have passed on. You may, uh, your if you have children, they may have had to move to a different city because the housing is no longer affordable here in Hamilton. So there's many compounding factors that makes life um, much more difficult living on a low income when you're a senior. If there's a senior listening right now who's in that 12 percentile category and they don't know what to do, where should they turn to first? Who should they contact? There's many agencies in this city who do wonderful work with seniors. So St. Matthew's House, for um, instance, um, uh, has a seniors program, um, as does um, Good Shepherd. So... um, uh, mission services as well. There's there's many uh, the, the YWCA. There's many wonderful agencies that that do um, help when they can. They should talk to their family doctor. That would be really the the most important contact that should know their situation and be able to coordinate the care that they need. Um, and um, and if they don't have a family doctor, they really should. Um, speak to one of these other agencies and get connected into the healthcare system. Um, even, um, you know, call uh, paramedics and ask them to connect you with a family doctor because that's really, especially now, you know, we're moving towards a, a better, um, more integrated primary healthcare system and we don't want seniors falling through the cracks. Absolutely not. Sarah, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for offering some insight into this important topic. Thank you. That's Sarah Mayo, social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you missed yesterday's entertainment report here on Good Morning Hamilton, you will have missed the story about BlackBerry. You know the company, Research in Motion, the ultra-popular, at one point, smartphone. Well, there's a movie that has just wrapped up production. It was primarily filmed here in Hamilton, and it's uh, going to be, uh, from what we're hearing, going to be called Blackberry. It's written and directed by Canadian filmmaker and actor Matt Johnson. It stars Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's going to play co-CEO Jim Balsillie, and Ottawa-born Jay Baruchel is going to play his business partner and company co-founder Mike Lazaridis. And the movie is about the rise and the fall of BlackBerry. And here to talk about that is Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, good morning. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Rick. Uh, glad to join you. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of BlackBerry? Wow, wow. Um, 
Certainly, uh, for about a 10-year period, it was the smartphone of choice for anyone involved in business, politics, etc., because its big thing was security. You could uh, share information from one person to another without fear that it was going to be hacked. And at, at one time, as you probably know, uh, the BlackBerry, also sometimes known as the Crackberry, because of how addicted their users were, uh, was the number one selling phone on this planet. Um, this was a great source of Canadian pride. At one time, it was the most valuable company on the Canadian Stock Exchange. And uh, for many years, we thought it was could do no wrong, that it was going to be there forever. Of course, that all changed when Apple introduced the iPhone. And uh, I'll say this, the, the gentleman behind BlackBerry uh, made a strategic error which unfortunately, once they had made that error, they couldn't correct. And of course, as fast as it went up, then it started to fall and an iPhone became the most popular phone on the planet. So it was, as you as you mentioned, it was known as the Crackberry because it was so, you know, its users were so obsessed and so addicted to how it worked, how it functioned, and how they used it in the business world or their personal lives. Uh, but as you mentioned, things went awry, and it coincided with the arrival of the iPhone. How did BlackBerry react wrongly in this situation? What did they get wrong? Well, Mr. Lazaridis, uh, we mentioned both, John, Mr. Lazaridis, Mr. Balsley. Mr. Lazaridis was sort of the engineering mind. He was the product designer behind all of this. Mr. Balsley was more involved in sales. And, and as the uh, sort of the technological mind, Mr. Lazaridis saw a smartphone as a certain type of device, a communications device, one that allowed one person to share information with another one and again do it in a highly secure manner. When the iPhone came out, most people don't remember that one of the things that really got people buzzing about the iPhone was games, that you could play games and this is where the whole thing of Angry Birds came out. Mr. Lazaridis famously was interviewed at the time and said, what do you think about all this? And he said, a smartphone is not a toy. It is not a amusement device. It is a serious communication device. And so we're going to ignore everything that Apple is doing. All right, that might be fine for some people, but that's not the market we're serving. We're serving that serious business communication market. And for the first two or three years, uh, BlackBerry really did hold its own. But... Uh, what happened is once people saw what they could do with a phone other than communicate with it, uh, it really did turn into this thing. I call it the PAD, a personal amusement device. And those silly little games became far more important to most people than the phone itself, the communications ability of the phone itself. In fact, I joke today that most people have a smartphone, but they never use it to place a call. They do almost anything but surf the Internet, check this, take pictures. And, and Lazaridis missed that completely. And by the time he started to play catch-up, he could never go fast enough. In other words, the Apple uh, iPhone was always one step ahead of it in terms of those other fun capabilities. 
and this is how eventually they lost the lost the whole battle. It's pretty incredible when you think about BlackBerry's stock price. You mentioned uh, July twentieth, two thousand seven. BlackBerry's shares were selling for two hundred forty one dollars ninety cents. The iPhone, the first iteration of the iPhone, came about June twenty ninth, two thousand seven. And BlackBerry stock price on August seventeenth, two thousand seven, fell to seventy seven dollars fifty seven cents. Currently trading at eight thirteen. The question I have, you know, today BlackBerry's focused on uh, car technology, cybersecurity. Is there a path one day, whether it's 10, 15, 20 years down the road, to create a phone again? No. Short answer to that is no. They, they lost that ability. They, they, they missed that market completely. And so what they've done is rather than disappear from the marketplace, and that's what we were all afraid of, was would they survive? They continue to offer this security aspect, secure communications. So this is how they've, they've uh, 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 shifted the company. They don't make any phones. They did uh, license the technology to some people, but the last BlackBerry phone disappeared a couple of years ago. Uh, and so what they've gotten into is, is secure communications. And they've actually got a new beachhead there. So you talked about car technology. That is because the cars of the future are actually going to talk to one another, uh, especially if you believe in self-driving technology or the semi-autonomous vehicle. The only way they can be autonomous is if each car on the road talks to one another, and that will be enhanced through 5G capabilities. And again, because it's a secure communication, you can't have a third party sort of take over your car and drive your car for you. Their, their technology is going to allow that. And so they have found a way to survive, obviously under new leadership. Neither Mr. Lazaridis nor Mr. Balsley are still involved with the company. And so we have found a way to save it. But no, that, that day is gone. Oddly enough, the iPhone is no longer the biggest selling phone in the world. The number one selling phone is from Samsung. Number two, believe it or not, is from the Chinese company Huawei iPhone is the third biggest selling. So even those people who beat BlackBerry at the game have themselves been beaten. That is for sure. Marvin, always great reminiscing and uh, analyzing the current situation with you from the business world. Thanks for joining us today. Just one quick thing, Rick. Yeah. Watch for this film debuting during the Toronto International Film Festival. Starts on September the 8th. It's going to be very interesting to figure out how they can tell this story in just a couple of hours. So I'm going to be watching closely. Great stuff. Thanks, Marvin. Thank you. That is Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Yeah, BlackBerry, the rise and fall of research in motion, and the Crackberry should be an interesting watch. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you ever wanted to stay at an Airbnb? You can go to airbnb.ca if you want to book a stay somewhere. Well... This is a unique one because starting this coming Monday, you can book an overnight stay aboard Theodore 2. Yeah, the tugboat that's docked at Pier 8 here in Hamilton. How so? Well, let's ask our next guest. Matt McNama is the Senior Communications Manager at Airbnb and joins us now on GMH. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. How did this all come about? Well, so it's interesting. We um, in, Earlier this year, we introduced a new way to search on Airbnb called Categories. And Categories is a way for users to sort of select the stay they want, whether it's a tree house, whether it's a cabin, a lake house, whatever it may be. And one of those categories that we introduced was OMG. And those, those are those jaw-dropping 
uh, stays that are just incredible. And so we wanted to find a stay in Canada that had that element to it. And what uh, what's more jaw-dropping than staying on a tugboat with a red cap and a smiling face? <laughs> yeah, it certainly fits the bill. Uh, what other kind of places are in this OMG category? We have everything from just incredible architecture to tree houses that are literally built uh, across multiple trees to to you know uh, wheelbarrows for example that you can stay in so there's just about everything under the sun and um and they're found all around the world and we really wanted to showcase one that was in canada and here it is what would be your dream airbnb location to stay at you know okay so it's got to be canadian um <laughs> and i would say probably um oh man uh, how about you know a, a houseboat somewhere in Muskoka that's just really decked out and mm. um, just gives you that true Canadian experience. I think that would be a really cool thing to, to wrap up summer. That sounds great. I don't know if it's available, but I'd love to stay at Drake's Mansion in Toronto. I know it was up for sale recently. I don't know if it got sold, but that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> maybe, maybe, let's make that the next one. Yeah, let's probably, pre, probably be pretty pricey as well. <laughs> uh, well, you never know. Sometimes, you know, one of the things about this particular stay is we wanted to make sure that it was reasonably priced. And so um, so Theodore's, uh, when it goes uh, up on Monday, uh, it can be booked for $22 a night, which is uh, a nod to Theodore's 22nd birthday. But it's also a way to make these kinds of stays something really remarkable, affordable for everyone. Yeah, and when I saw the price tag, I thought, is that is that an error? Like $22 a night is uh, dirt cheap. It's very cheap. And, you know, that that's a way for anyone who wants, who's a really big Theodore fan to, to stay on the boat. And, you know, this is a stay that's open to anyone around the world, whether you're local to Hamilton, whether you're across Canada or anywhere around the world and one thing we've learned throughout this entire journey is just how popular Theodore is and uh, he's got some fanatical fans around the world so uh, so here's a way to, to make it affordable. So are, are you expecting people from all over the world to try to get in and, and stay on board Theodore too? That's our hope so we want you know we really want to you know showcase Hamilton to the world here uh, and, uh, and this is a one fun way to do it you know one thing that's really incredible about this experience is you know, Hamilton's got such a great culinary scene. And uh, so part of the stay is, you know, guests are going to go into Hamilton and have a restaurant uh, experience. And uh, I, our hope is that, you know, people from outside of Hamilton get to experience that too and, and showcase part of what Ham- makes Hamilton great. So as of Monday, how can people book their stay on Theater 2? Yeah, so head over to airbnb.com slash Theater 2. Uh, and as of noon, uh, it's first come, first serve. So Whoever comes in and books, uh, they're going to get a remarkable stay. So you really want your Wi-Fi to be working <laughs> at noon hey, on don't, Monday. Don't let it drop or tether quickly. Come on. <laughs> that's uh, Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So how many nights are available up for grabs here? So right now it's two. Uh, and then uh, Theater Tugboats are obviously welcome to uh, to extend that beyond. Uh, but we're starting with two in September, and it's September 10th and 11th of the stays. Uh, they're back-to-back. And it's a one-night stay for uh, for up to five people. And how many crew are on board uh, Theodore too. So he tours around the summer. Uh, he goes around the, the Great Lakes and uh, and and in the Atlantic and and tours around. But when he's docked in Hamilton, usually there's one or two crew. Uh, when you uh, have your stay for this particular uh, experience, there's going to be one crew member on board, and that crew member is going to give you a tour of the boat and a tour of Hamilton Harbor as well. So you get the true authentic Theodore two experience. Yeah, very cool. Is there a plan to add more either Hamilton or Ontario or Canadian OMG locations? So uh, hosts around the world are welcome to uh, go up on Airbnb. And if you do have that remarkable stay, uh, something that really is jaw dropping, you can absolutely sign up as a host 
and list your house as a OMG category or any category. If you have a treehouse or a yurt or or you know just a run of the mill home that you're looking to to put on Airbnb, that's what it's there for. And you know we encourage all of our hosts to sign up for categories because it's a way for guests to find something really different and and to tailor their experience. Well, and this one certainly fits that bill. Matt, uh, appreciate your time today and uh, good luck with us. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Matt McManna is a senior communications manager with Airbnb. You can go to airbnb.ca or .com, either or, and check out Theodore 2. Again, there's only two nights up for grabs. September 10th and 11th, it's $22 a night. And Monday, this coming Monday at noon, is when, I guess, the... The, the bidding opens. Really, it's not it's not an auction. You just go and you, you book the stay. And if you get it first, you're good to go. Not a contest. It's first come, first serve. So uh, ready, set, go. Get the VIP experience at Canada's largest rib fest. Visit 900CHML.com today and enter for your chance to enjoy a VIP experience at Canada's largest rib fest at Burlington Spencer Smith Park from September 2nd to the 5th. Winners are going to get five premium VIP tickets, which allows you front-of-the-line access, VIP seating, more beverage options, midway passes, and rib fest t-shirts. Go online today to enter 900CHML.com. Coming up after the news, a tip of the cap to a Hamilton hockey superstar. That's next on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. For the first time in two years, believe it or not, this weekend is going to be a little more peachy than at least the last couple of summer weekends as the Winona Peach Festival is back for the first time since 2019. Thank you, COVID-19 pandemic. But we got you this time. Peach Fest and all the details online at WinonaPeach.com. Peach Fest finally back. It's the focus of our Good Morning Hamilton summer cruising series today as we focus on, for me, one of the best run and most enjoyable festivals in our area. Because, number one, I'm a huge Peach fan. And the Peach Sundays (laughs) are the highlight for me. And they're going to be especially delicious and, well, a little bit nutritious. Um, because when you look at the forecast, it's going to be absolutely outstanding. Sunshine all weekend long, both tomorrow or both on uh, Saturday and Sunday. By the way, the Peach Festival launches tomorrow, but Saturday, Sunday, the two busiest days. Temperatures in the mid to high 20s, nothing but sunshine. The crowds, I'm going to imagine, are going to be somewhat large. So I would say get there early and maybe stay late. Friday, it uh, runs from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Saturday, 10 to 11 p.m., and on Sunday, it goes from 10 to 6. And it is filled with, well, a lot of history, that is for sure. It's been around for many, many years. If you like arts and crafts, there's dozens of vendors that are selling their wares, and it's always nice to see the different things that people uh, have to offer and have to sell. And, of course, well, the food. There's plenty of food to go around, including, you know, the peach sundaes, Peach pie, peaches, if you're just a fan of peaches, there's lots of those to go around as well. So that should be good. Of course, there's the parades, the pageant, which I I still think they do, and uh, the midway rides and games that you can play. So it's fun for the whole family. And the good part about it, too, is that money that is collected through uh, the various... Uh, midways and games and all the things that are for sale, pony rides, stuff like that, goes to some, uh, many good causes, whether it's uh, local food banks, 
uh, scout groups. There are students at local schools like Cardinal Newman and Orchard Park that benefit from the Peach Fest because money goes to programs or initiatives that the school runs. So it's a really a win-win-win. You have a fun time. Weather's going to be great. You get to participate and get active and socialize at what is a phenomenal event. And you are helping local food banks and other initiatives tied to kids. That's pretty cool. Parking is always, if you've been to the Peach Fest in past years, parking is always a bit of a roll of the dice. But there are shuttles, you know, whether it's the HSR or there's another uh, shuttle service at Putticombe Estates where you can hop on. I think it's $10 round trip per person, which is pretty good because, you know, park, you don't want to park on side streets. You're going to get a ticket. You know, bylaw will be out. There's no doubt about that. Parking is always a tricky thing. So as I mentioned, get there early and uh, you will be. You'll be okay. It'll be a much easier time, much more fun time at the Winona Peach Festival. Again, more details online, winonapeach.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.